Um, so we're, we're currently in the, the middle of a four-week series um, called Words Build Worlds. Um, and this has been a, a series that's exploring the, the role that words can be, particularly as it relates to community life, um, particularly as it relates to our life here in Redeemer. Um, the nature of words, as we know, have incredible power. That analogy that I shared in week, in week one was of a fire and how a fire can actually warm us, nurture us, sustain life. It can also um, burn and destroy. And so words, much like the fire, can do both of those things. But as it relates to, fam- as it relates to family life or community life, we are a family as a church. So as it relates to family life and community life, um, our words, we pray and hope are nurturing and life-giving. I want to encourage you to catch up on the podcast. Next week, Ryan's going to be up to finish our series with um, a talk on the creative and prophetic power of words. Um, in October, Beth and I were on honeymoon in South Africa, and we had the pleasure of visiting an amazing country. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. It's stunning. Uh, amazing food, amazing wine, um, opportunity for us particularly to score off our bucket list going on safari. We scored that one off. We spent three days at a game reserve getting to know, getting to know, didn't get to know any of the animals, got to see them, <laughs> getting to know them. Just got to see them from a distance. That was fine. Otherwise, you'll see, I probably did get to know them a little more um, than I hoped to. Um, <laughs> got to see some of the amazing, amazing animals in their, in their natural habitat, um, or I suppose as close, as close to their natural habitat as a game reserve can be. So on arrival, we rocked up um, to the reception. We handed over our car, checked in all our luggage to, to the lodge, and we jumped on the back of a 4 by 4 We just about... Um, and made the game drive as we arrived. So we literally were just there, got the stuff checked in, jumped on the back of the 4x4 for the first of, I think, four game drives. Um, And each game drive was about three or four hours long. If you've been on safari, you'll maybe know this. About 45 minutes into the very first drive, we hadn't seen a lot. We'd maybe seen a few springbok. Uh, And then we came face-to-face with, which with, we came face-to-face with, um, the most terrifying encounter that we had the whole weekend, which was with a male uh, lion. A male lion. We're 45 minutes in, just there. We don't even know if this safari is legit. We barely know the name of the ranger. And we're in this 404, and right up ahead in the road, there's a male lion on his own walking before us. The ranger drove really close up and stopped. And it seemed like the lion was alone. It was roaming the hills and looking for something. It started to walk towards the truck. So the ranger turned off the engine to the 4 by 4 and it was just silence. And at this point, I realized that I was sitting in a 4 by 4 that had no sides, no roof. Um, it was open top and there was this lion within 50 yards. And as it got closer, I then began to realize, what happens if this goes wrong? And I then realized that the ranger had a rifle, but the rifle was well and truly zipped up in a bag. So really, there was nothing that was gonna, um, we're going to be able to do if it went wrong. Um, so what we did was, we did what every modern person would do, is we took out our phones and started to Instagram it. Um, and our cameras. Started recording, quietly, still as we could. And the lion walked toward us. I was just silent and walked down the side of the truck. It happened to be on Beth's side of the truck, so I sort of hid behind Beth with the camera. Uh, 
Um, it basically brushed the sides of the, of the truck with its mane. And uh, we were all holding our breath as it went past. And it effectively just walked right past us as if we weren't there into the sunset. And we just literally filmed it as it went around. Um, I wish I'd have brought the video with me. It would have made the story even better. But it was absolutely terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time. We pretty much had the most, I suppose, up-close encounter with, well, the the king of the jungle, the lion, within the first hour of our first drive, and it actually ended up perhaps being the highlight of our trip. Um, apart from the sheer terror and being so close to an animal like that that I never thought I'd really be, we got to see the face of this mighty animal. It was literally within, it was as close to me as Sam is right now, as that table is right now, it's just right there. And we got to see this beautiful face of this majestic animal but it wasn't a perfect face you don't really see that when you're when you see a lion from a distance you sort of see the lion that you think a lion should be but when you actually come up you see the personality of the lion a little bit the different flaws it was it was a face and I noticed not only did I notice how I was feeling in that moment but I noticed um the face was all scarred I noticed like there was some scars on the face and the body and you wouldn't have noticed that from a distance. This lion was coming to the end of its prime so I discovered it was battle-worn but it was still holding strong and I asked the ranger some questions and I realized this this lion had faced countless battles um, to retain his position as king of the territory and for, for a lone male lion to accomplish this is not an easy task. He'd raised dozens and dozens of, of cubs. His face was wounded with scars, but it was like this badge of honor um, in the lion world, demanding respect, a facial display of courage, fearlessness, and strength, each scar with its own story. And I tell that story um, really just to, to, to imprint on your minds when you're this close to, to a lion, to the face of that lion, to see the scars. I want that image of, of the lion with the scars to be imprinted in your head. Um, because uh, well, life for us as humans is not that different to the life of that lion in some ways. Life is not actually easy and we don't come through life flawless, unscathed. We all have these battle-worn scars that mark the journey and each of those scars have a story behind them. Of course, I'm not talking about physical scars. I'm talking about all of the other types of scars that we can carry through life. We can, we can carry emotional, psychological, spiritual wounds and heartaches, brokenness that we all have. It's a reality of life. The divorce, the betrayal, the abuse, the hurtful words, rejection, a traumatic religious experience, a shattered dream, unrequited love, devastating news, diagnosis, chronic illness, vilification, alienation, separation, isolation, loneliness, being overlooked, being forgotten, being shunned. The nasty email, the hateful texts, the rejection letter, the vicious rumors, the misplaced words, the unsaid words, the words said in anger, the gossiping neighbors, the parent who hurt you, the friend who turned their back on you, the community that forgot you, or worse, slandered you, scapegoated you, 
Even the God who let you down wounds, they're real. We carry them, all of us, like luggage on our backs every day. Just like the scar-faced lion, those wounds follow us. And in a sense, we can't delete them, we can't erase them. They've somehow etched themselves onto the story of our lives. No one escapes wounds. We're all wounded people. We all have them. Some of us are still just discovering them. And we, discover some, we often discover that these wounding incidents happen through other people. Words that may be spoken or actions taken that leave us feeling dissociated or dejected or misunderstood or hurt. Other feelings may also arise, such as embarrassment or rejection or inferiority. Words and actions that have been inflicted upon us, either intentionally or unintentionally. Either way, they've wounded us. Life's tragedies can be wounding. Family members can be wrenched from us through death or divorce. Illness can devastate us. Life can be cruel and hard. Uh, And there's so much for us at times to lament. And this is just the reality of life. It is what life is like. And I've been reflecting on this this week as I've been preparing to share. And I've realized that our wounds, no matter how big or how small those wounds are, that it's good to speak about them. Even just to speak to it right now is good. That we're all in the same boat. But no matter how big or how small they are, they're not neutral. In our lives, they can dictate, they can inhibit, they can hollow us out. They can become these sources of pain and even shame in our lives. And they shape our lives. If not dealt with, they can even destroy our lives. In a sense, you could say that wounds build worlds. Um, But I want to contend this morning that God's also building a world. I want to contend that wounds that we all carry hurts or pains are not the final word in our story. Brokenness is a reality, but it's not our destination. We know from scripture, as followers of the way of Jesus, that our God is in the business of restoration. It's really important for us to know that, to start there. Our God is in the business of remaking this world, of restoring all that is broken. I want us to quickly remember this world for one moment. Let's remember it quickly. The world that God is making through Jesus is not one that is broken, but God is making it whole again. Remember that divine interruption that I shared when we were in our Advent series where Jesus lifts the school in the local synagogue and he reaches, reads that portion from Isaiah 61 that talks about this world that God's creating. It says this, the, sovereign of the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, dark, from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We know that our God is in the business of building a different world, a different world than the world that sometimes our experiences in life can build. He is in the business of building a world of wholeness, of shalom, of restoring Eden. 
It says he has sent me up to bind the brokenhearted. Jesus is saying that about himself. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom from the captive. Psalm 147 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The most famous psalm, Psalm 23, speaks about God as a shepherd who restores our soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals, heals, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Hallelujah. And I could go on from scripture about this story that God is in remaking this world. What a great story. But the questions remain. The questions remain. How do we reconcile the reality of what we experience of our own pain and brokenness in our everyday lives? And there'll be stories that are coming to your mind right now in your own lives. How do we reconcile that with this vision that God is putting it all back together, that God is making this world whole? How do we reconcile and hold those two things? How do we move perhaps from one to the other? Well, there there is this axiom that seems to be true that hurt people hurt people. Science and psychology has begun to, to back this up. The research shows that pain recycles and it's passed on. And pain and shame does not just affect the individual, but it can affect generations. We know that often those that are subject to abuse can sometimes go on to abuse. Those that are bullied can go on to bully, for example. We know this to be true. We've seen this in our lives, and it's a heavy topic, I know. But this axiom is true in that if we do not transform our pain, we will transmit our pain. That is the axiom. If our pain, if something doesn't have to happen to all of that, Otherwise, we will just perpetuate it. We will just recycle it. We will pass it on. Richard Rohr says this. If we cannot find a way to make our wounds into sacred wounds, we invariably become cynical, negative, or bitter. And this is the storyline of many of the greatest novels, myths, and stories of every culture. If we do not transform our pain, we most assuredly will transmit it, usually to those closest to us our family, our neighbours, our co-workers, and invariably the most vulnerable, our children. Richard Rohr says, he goes on to say though that all great spirituality, if you want a definition for spiritual life, it's this. It's what you do with your pain. What you do with your pain. We see this in the world all around us and in our own lives, that our wounds can create these worlds that we live in and we get stuck in. And so we have a choice. We either continue to live there in a state of stuckness and we transmit our pain because we all have it. It leaks out. Or we engage in the way of Jesus I want to propose, which is a way of transformation where our pain is transformed. As Jesus followers, we have been shown a way. The way of Jesus is a blueprint 
for transformation and healing. And the gospel is good news today because it actually engages us at our very point of brokenness, at our very point of pain, at our sickness and those wounds, and it brings healing. We find, Redeemer, our hope in Jesus in this example. When we go to the cross, when we see Jesus taking on the pain and the sin and the brokenness of the world. This is the passage of scripture I want to hang this whole talk on this morning. It's in Luke 23, verse 32 to 47. And I just want to quickly read it to you. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, and Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, the king, this is the king of the Jews, One of the criminals who hung there hurled abuses at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And it was about noon and darkness over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised him and said, Surely this was a righteous man. We've just read the central point of the whole Christian story right there, the moments when Christ was crucified and killed on a Roman cross. And this interesting dialogue that's going on between him and the criminals around him. And this interesting dialogue that's going on between him and his father. The cross of Jesus Christ is the turning point of history and it's the means of our salvation, Redeemer. Christ died for our sins and upon his body, Christ took on all of our sin and our shame, all of the sin and shame of this world. And by the power of God, he reverses the effects of it and he sees it transformed. He overcomes the story of death with a story of life. It's in the cross that we see that our salvation is one and we see Jesus showing us how our healing comes about. Because he on the cross chooses the world that God is trying to create. The world of peace and healing. Not by recycling pain and death, but surrendering to it and inviting God into it and seeing it transformed. He didn't fight back. He didn't push back. He didn't return evil with evil. And we know that he ultimately overcame sin and death because three days later the story, the Christian story the story of Jesus is of one who rose from the dead with wounds still in his body but wounds that were healed transfigured, changed transformed 
The prophet Isaiah speaks about this in Isaiah 53. Isaiah says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is the central message of the whole Christian story. As we enter into pain, as we lead with forgive them for they know not what they do, forgiveness of our enemies, as we commit our spirits to God, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit, we're freed. Our pain is transformed. The example of Jesus is surrender. It's not to repay evil with evil, to recycle pain, to fight back, but to absorb into his body and see God transform it into love. He refused to pay back evil with evil, to fight back. He practiced forgiveness. He trusted his father. He invited his father in and he was transformed. Redeemer, Christianity is not an escape from pain. It's not a journey away from pain. The whole point of the Christian story is that life is through death, that we walk into our pain, we hold our pain, we model, we follow, sorry, the model that Jesus has given us. To not recycle our pain, but to see it transformed. This is our hope as Christians. This is the hope. This is the blueprint for how we deal with life and its cruelty and its hardness and its difficulty. This is the hope of the Christian message that the world does not have an absolute answer for. It is a message of hope and grace and transformation. We can be like the world and we can transmit our pain back into the world and often we do. Often, perhaps you you, you know that, I know that. But if we follow the example and the way of Jesus by absorbing it, by practicing forgiveness for those words of hurt, for those letdowns, by trusting it to God in prayer, we can see our pain transformed. This is the way of Jesus and this is the hope of the gospel. By his wounds, we are healed and therefore our wounds do not have the final word. There's a uh, a Renaissance sculpt, sculpture by Michelangelo in St. Peter's Basilica. It might actually come up on the screen in Vatican City. It's depicting the, the Virgin Mary and she's holding the, the, the body of her son, Jesus, who's dead. And it's a beautiful sculpture. Apparently Michelangelo sculpted that when he was 24 years old, which just blows my mind. It's been invoking faith, emotion, through its depiction of this scene. And it's a powerful image of what holding pain and brokenness looks like. There's no real struggle there. It's just holding it for what it is. There's no fight back. Maybe there's anger and cynicism that can often form in our hearts when things don't go the way we want, but we're we're called to hold our pain in the same way that this sculpture shows us and to invite God's grace to transform it because we know the end of this story three days later was that Christ 
rose again. Ron Roheiser says this. Transform jealousy, anger, bitterness and hatred rather than give them back in kind. Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will retransmit. In the face of jealousy or anger or bitterness or hatred, we must be like water purifiers, which is a somewhat mechanical analogy. He goes on to say, we hold, like water purifiers, we hold the poisons and the toxins inside of us and we give back the pure water. We see our pain absorbed and by the grace of God and the spirit of God with a posture of forgiveness and a trust in our Father as God in prayer, that pain, the wounds can be transformed, transfigured and what returns is love. What returns is pure water. There's a, a type of pottery that I think Ryan has spoken about before in Redeemer called Kintsugi. And uh, it, it's a pottery that involves repairing broken ceramics because the, the philosophy behind that is you can give new life to pottery that's been broken if you tend to it and refine its scars and put it back together. The Japanese art teaches that broken objects are not something to hide but actually to display with pride, so that when a bowl or a teapot or a vase breaks into a thousand pieces, we would probably just throw it away. Yet there's this practice, um, and you'll see some examples come up, that enhances the break because they're stitched together beautifully with some gold leaf, and they're repaired. There's a unique beauty then to these these pieces of pottery that have been repaired so lovingly, and it becomes useful again, and unique and beautiful to one off. And in a sense, these images are, in a way, a bit like us in our brokenness and in our pain and with our wounds when we become transformed by love, like Jesus has shown us. When we trust Jesus for our sins and our brokenness and follow his example to see our pain transformed, we can be freed from our shame and therefore we are given to the world like Jesus as beautiful examples of grace so we go from hide, we, don't, we move from the question of how can we hide our wounds to how can we put our wounds to the service of others we're covering a lot of ground here I know but when our wounds cease to become a source of shame by the transforming power of Jesus they can actually become a source of healing. We can then become what Henry Nowen calls wounded healers. I want to contend that if hurt people can hurt people, then healed people can heal people. That's the sermon, guys. That's the sermon. Pocket that, take it home. Richard Rohr says, we can all carry the cross of our own reality. We must all carry the cross of our own reality until God transforms us through it. These are the wounded healers of the world and healers who have fully faced their wounds are the only ones who can heal anyone else. Jesus is God's wounded healer. Through his wounds we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death illustrates that. He brings life and joy to us. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection actually brought a community of love 
as witnessed even here today in Belfast in 2019. As followers of Jesus, we can also allow our wounds to bring healing to others. I've been reflecting on this, Redeemer. I've been reflecting on the fact that our community is 10 years old. And I actually have been reflecting upon the role of community in this whole process as we reflect on some of these things today. I've been reflecting on the fact that I think that our community, one of the things that I think God has been doing with us has been this very thing. I think for 10 years, this place, for all of its ups and downs, has been a hospital for the soul. I don't know how many times I hear get emails or hear conversations with people that are here in this community and those that have also moved on to say that I came to this place broken, like one of those ceramic bowls on the ground. And because of the grace of Jesus in this place, somehow God healed me, put me back together. And I was useful again, I was appreciated again, I was loved again, I experienced transformation. I count myself among those people. I came here pretty broken myself. I came here sitting in the back row, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to give any of my money or pray any prayers. I came here as cynical as the next person. And here I am leading this community now. God is good. And I'm not perfect, I'm far from it, but there is a testimony there of healing. Nonetheless, God has used this house as a house of healing. A house of healing. And I believe he wants to continue to do so, particularly in a post-religious, post-conflict Northern Ireland. We need places and spaces where we can heal, a space for wounds to heal. Henry Nowen says this, a community, a Christian community is a healing community, not because wounds are cured and pains are alleviated, but because wounds and pains become openings or occasions for a new vision. It's not our only calling as a community redeemer, but I believe that God has a ministry of healing for us, which begs the question about those healing words that we speak into each other's lives. The power of words, healing words that can only flow from a life that has been healed and transformed by the power, the gospel of Jesus. We need to continue, Redeemer, to be tethered and to abide deeply in that story of Jesus, to be a people of the way, so that we're ready, primed to speak words of healing and life Not to recycle our pain or transmit it, but to transform it into love and project that out to the lost, the broken, and the hurting. Wounded healers, a community, a house of healing, a community of wounded healers is part of our calling. It is central to the whole story of Jesus. I also want to just particularly invite some of you older folk here in this community older and wiser heads in the community. Sometimes I wonder if the trauma some experience from, from, from bad advice is partly to do with the fact that we covet the youth and we covet the new so much and yet we've so much to learn from older men and women who have done the hard work of seeing their pain transformed, who are like sages among us who can give better advice 
and can share their stories of healing. So for you who have walked, who have scars, who are battle-worn, I want to invite you that there is a need here in this community for mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith, sages who've lived life, and with the help of the Spirit, though they're not perfect, have seen their pain transformed. There is a need for people like this in our community. Don't count yourself out if you're older in this community. If you've lived a lot of life, we need you. We need our mentors and our sages who can help us make this place a house of healing to help in the most painful moments of our lives transform our pain, as I've said, with the help of Christ. So there's an invitation there. There's an invitation for us here a little bit younger and who need that to be open to the wisdom, to the stories, to learn from the scars and the transformed uh, wounds of those sages among us, those older folk among us, so that this place can become a house of healing. I am finished. I would love you to stand. Please do.